Hello, this is Dwayne McCurry. I'm the team leader of the Adult Explore the Bible, and today I'm joined with, by Ken Brady, who's the manager of the ongoing teams here at Lifeway. Ken, thank you for being with us today. Dwayne, happy to do it. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at session six. It's the first lesson of 2020. That just looks funny in print to see 2020, but here we are. Um, so uh, this lesson, we look at Numbers 27. Uh, in this passage, verses 12 through 14, God directs Moses to ascend up the mountain range to view the promised land. God told Moses that he would die after he viewed the land in fulfillment of the judgment God had declared for Moses and Aaron's disobedience at Meribah. Uh, Moses is going to plead with God in verses 15 through 17 to provide a new leader to lead God's people. Moses' concern was for the people, fearing that they would become like sheep without a shepherd. An important thing for us to remember there is that godly leaders must always focus on the future of God's work. In verses 18 through 23, God designates Joshua as the new leader of his people. Moses was to publicly commission Joshua with the help of the priest Eliezer, setting Joshua aside for this service. In this particular lesson, we have some critical issues that we see here. We have death. How do we deal with that? How do we view mortality? Those kind of things. We see leadership, the commissioning of leaders, the laying on of hands. So Ken, let's just jump right in here. Uh, let's deal with this idea of mortality. What would be in, a healthy view of mortality? Where, where's the balance between living for today and building for that next generation? Yeah, I, I, I said to myself when I saw that question, Dwayne, that this was going to be a great opening question to deal with. And, uh, and I think a healthy view of mortality, uh, I'm going to take it from one of your favorite verses, because I've heard you talk about this one before. Uh, this was the Acts 13 passage, uh, verse 36, where it says that David, after serving God's purpose for his own generation, he fell asleep, and he was buried with his fathers and decayed. And I thought that that was a great verse to give some perspective on this idea of, of mortality, you know, the idea that that God has a certain time and a place in history for us to live. He's got a purpose for our lives. But uh, because of the, the natural laws that are in effect here on the planet, we have limited number of days. We're going to die just like David did. He was a great servant, a great Bible hero, uh, didn't extend his life. And so he aged and he died and he decayed just like everyone. And so that's a, it's a healthy reminder that we have limited number of days uh, here, you know, on the planet, and then uh, Psalm one thirty nine uh, is another uh, another passage, you know, where you find uh, this idea of you know God creating us in our mother's wombs, He knew us, those kind of things. But then it says that all of my days were written in Your book and planned for me before a single one of them began. And so this idea that God has marked out a certain number of days helps me to understand that. Time is fleeting, and I need to be on task. I need to be on target, and uh, I need to be thinking about uh, the future. Uh, because uh, as I've gotten older, I'm 55 years old now, I realize I've got fewer days ahead than behind. And it makes me really want to make, you know, however many years I have left, it really makes me want to make those count. And so that, I think, helps to you know have a healthy view of our mortality. Yeah, and by future... We tend to usually think of what happens here, and we forget about the future. What happens after we die in eternity? Absolutely. Uh, how you know things we're doing now that are preparing us to 
for eternity, th those are just as important as what happens once we're gone from here and what happens at this place. Very much so. You know, you also asked, you know, kind of a part two on that one about uh, what's the balance uh, between living for the day and you know, building for the next generation. I, I think that's a, I struggled with that one. That was a good question uh, because I, I couldn't come, with an, uh, come up with the right answer. I felt like immediately I had to really ponder that one. And, and I hope that uh, the folks that are listening and teaching this lesson uh, will give that one some serious attention. Uh, and I think that the short answer is that we're probably always going to have an imbalance uh, and we will probably tend to skew toward living for today. Just the immediacy, you know, of the urgent grabs our attention and we don't quite think about the future enough. And so uh, I think that uh, where's the balance? Uh, it, it, it comes when I am intentional about marking out how I spend my day. You know, a certain number of hours obviously need to be spent on things that are happening in my life today, my work, my family, those things. But also, if I'm intentional and I'm thinking about the future, then I will mark out some time to invest in that, uh, knowing that those days are numbered like we you know, already talked mm -hmm. about. So I think intentionality is really important if you're going to have balance. If you're not intentional, I think you'll probably live imbalanced. Yeah, uh, I can see how that would that would uh, that would take place. Um, in this passage, we see um, Moses' concern for the future, for the future generations, for future leaders. Um, he's invested in Joshua some. Uh, one of the pack items is pack item twelve, which deals with mentors in the Bible. It lists Jethro mentoring Moses, Eli mentoring Samuel, Elijah mentoring Elisha, Daniel actually mentoring Nebuchadnezzar. We may not think about that, but actually Daniel does mentor Nebuchadnezzar. Mordecai mentoring Esther, Priscilla and Aquila, and how they mentor Apollos, and of course Jesus and the Twelve, uh, and others, Timothy, those kind of things. Um, not included on the list is Moses mentoring Joshua. Uh, so we would, obviously we would use this handout and then help them understand that there's one more that needs to be addressed here, and that's the investment that Moses has made into Joshua. What are some ways that we could invest into future generations, Ken? Uh, another great question, Dwayne. I think uh, a several-part answer on this one. Uh, I think that we invest in future generations uh, when we invest God-sized stories into them and I'm going to go to a passage or two of Scripture. You know, there was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, same thing, you know, where they set up those temporary shelters and remembered their desert wanderings and whatnot and God's provision and whatnot. Uh, and and the children that grew up uh, experienced, I'm sure that was kind of a fun thing. You know, you camped outside for a few days and you experienced the, <laughs> you know, what it was like to be out in the wilderness. Uh, but it gave opportunity for parents to retell the great stories of their faith and how God led their people. And so I think that for us to uh, invest in future generations, part of it is helping them to understand the big stories, uh, how God has been involved in our lives, in history, his people's lives. I think that's important. You know, when they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, you know, one of the things that they were told to do was to gather those 12, you know, river stones and to and to stack them as a memorial. And it says, you know, when your children ask, what are these things? Uh, then you say, you know, these are to serve as a sign among you. 
and uh, and the children were going to ask, you know, what do these stones mean? So it gave it gave the parents and leaders a chance to tell another generation the great stories of God. I think that's one way that we uh, we help uh, future generations and we invest in them. I think also uh, I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy six. This would be the second thing that you know we invest in future generations, and, and we really start that in our homes as as we are raising children, as we're maybe rearing grandchildren these days. Uh, could be that uh, that we really take Deuteronomy six to heart, and we tell those stories, and we have those spiritual conversations about God daily. It's a way to invest, and if we're silent. Uh, about those things, then I'm I'm almost thinking that we're really not investing into the future generations like we uh, should be doing. But then I also think there's a third way, and that's investing in these future generations like Jesus did, and he did it with a little word, a four-letter word called time, T-I-M-E. Uh, you know, his his primary method for investing in people was doing things life on life. I mean, like you've already mentioned, you know, he had the 12, and then he had the inner group of three, uh, but to prepare them and to invest in them and their future ministry that we see taking off in the book of Acts, uh, he didn't do it from a distance. He did it as life rubbed uh, against another life, and that was him spending time uh, with those disciples. You know, it's, it's hard to invest in somebody from a distance. I know we can, you know, we can do some of that today electronically and digitally, but uh, but honestly, you know, it's it's a matter of time and who I pour my life into, and it looks like that was Jesus' way to do it. Nothing beats a face-to-face conversation. Absolutely. So the three things that you've identified here, Ken, are telling our stories, uh, investing in our families spiritually, and then time with other people. Time with others, yes. And I think, you know, not just telling our stories, uh, that first one, but making sure that that people understand how God's story has intersected our Mm -hmm. story and how that may be impacting even their story today. And so, yeah, I think all three of those are, are opportunities that we have to invest uh, in future generations. We kind of get the impression here that Moses didn't know that Joshua was going to be the future leader. It looked like that, right. So mm-hmm. how do we recognize a future leader, and how do we encourage them? Another great question. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you maybe five or so things here. Uh, first, I would say you, to, to recognize a future leader, I say look at their heart. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7, familiar passage. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so as you look at a, identifying a future leader, I think you can look to see what what is on their heart. What are they passionate about? Do they love God? And uh, if they do, you might have a future potential leader because that obviously is extremely important to God. He looks past appearance and things that we might say uh, would disqualify someone from leadership and he goes right to the heart of the matter. And so I'd say, look at the heart first. Then I'd say, look at their hands. And by that, I mean that uh, we want to see if a future leader is already at work, serving and and leading in their present capacity. I don't know that Jesus called anybody that was sitting around idle. They were already working. They had things that they were doing. You know, Some were fishing and doing other things. But he didn't call anybody idle that I'm aware of. And so... I would say they weren't beggars. No, oh gosh, no. They were no. They were very uh, busy and, and very uh, successful. Some of them were, you know, businessmen. And so I would I would say, uh, you know, because Jesus redefined greatness in His kingdom with His disciples as you know the the last will be first and the greatest will serve. I would want to know is a future leader. How are they How are they serving today? And if you have someone who you think has a, a heart for God, that was number one, and then you find them serving and being active, then 
That's the second thing you'd look at. You might say, well, we might be onto something here. There may be a, a future leader. But then I'll also say, number three, look at their character. Uh, and, uh, you know, when Moses uh, was being uh, mentored by Jethro, you mentioned that earlier. Uh, you know, uh, Jethro... Uh, Exodus 18. Yes. Uh, and, and Jethro told him uh, to choose God-fearing, trustworthy, honest people. So you look at the person's character. You know, Acts chapter 6, when they were choosing the first uh, kind of the the, thing, the the people that became the precursors to, you know, deacons, uh, the ones that were going to serve and, and, and help the disciples focus on prayer and study. Uh, the requirement there was choose men of good reputation, people full of spirit, people who were wise. Uh, that all goes to their their character. And then 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, Paul told Timothy, select faithful people, faithful men. And so you've got faithfulness, you've got godliness, you've got uh, God-fearing, people that are trustworthy, people that are honest. So you can look at, number one, you know their heart, you can look at their hands, you can look at their character. And then uh, number four, I say, look at their posture. Are they teachable? Are they humble? Uh, because if you have someone who is not in a humble position, if he's not teachable, I'm not sure how long that person is actually going to be effective in any kind of a leadership role that they might be called into. And then the last one is look to the Spirit. And I'm going to go to Acts 13, 1 to 3 on that one. The church in Antioch had a lot of prominent teachers. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were there, but there were other ones, Simeon and others. And, and the Holy Spirit uh, told the church to call out Paul and Barnabas, lay hands on them, send them out. And so at times, I think we have to listen to the Holy Spirit who is already at work in the hearts and lives of God's people. And, uh, and he has plans for folks. He, he wants certain people to uh, assume new responsibilities and duties. And so I would say if you're in tune and listening to the Spirit, God is going to help us identify those future leaders. So those four or five things. What Blackaby calls in, in his book, Spiritual Leadership, God's validation of a leader, I think, with right. that last point. So you have their heart, their hands, mm -hmm. their character, mm -hmm. their posture, which really deals with humility and That's teachability, right. mm -hmm. and then their spirit, which is God's direction upon that person's life. Correct. Uh, one more thing here. We have the Urim and the Thummim uh, in this passage that we'll be examining. Uh, we don't know a lot about these things. Uh, there, we know a few things, but not a lot. But there's potential rabbits here. Um, what rabbits should we anticipate, and how should we avoid those rabbits? Yeah, that's a, that's another good question, and it probably will uh, come up. Uh, if I was teaching this particular Bible study, uh, and I had a group, and uh, and this came up in the course of our teaching, uh, I'm not going to let my group camp out on this much because it's just not that important to the story at hand. Uh, it's an interesting side trail, and you know that we can go chase the rabbit, but we we take away valuable time from this other thing that we need to be talking about, about God's commissioning of new leaders and the next generation of leaders. So I wouldn't spend much time on it because it'll rob, uh, it'll rob me and the class of the main thing that we need to be talking about. But uh, fortunately you know, it's near the end of the lesson too. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, honestly, some of our groups may not be able to get quite to that. It depends on how the conversations and questions go up to that point. But, um, you know, all, really we just know that these were things that were, uh, you know, given by God uh, to help uh, his people uh, determine his will in certain situations. Uh, we don't know what the Urim and Thummim, uh, Thummim look like. Uh, 
Um, there's been all kind of conjecture. I would avoid that, you know, <laughs> were they rocks? Were they sticks? You know, did I've even read, you know, some pe- people think that they were gems that glowed, uh, because the, the words Urim and Tumim actually, you know, translate into light and perfections. And so, uh, there's been conjecture about that. It's just all conjecture. We just don't know. And so why camp out on something that we just don't know? The big, the big picture thing is that they were, they were, uh, graciously given by God to help direct his people. And he still does that. You know, the high priest had those close to his heart and uh, was available to use those uh, to help the leaders, uh, kings, uh, determine God's will. But now, you know, Dwayne, we've got a great high priest. And and we have his word that uh, determines and, and delivers and helps us to understand God's will. And so uh, I don't really have to worry about, you know, what is this, you know, the Urim and Tummim. Uh, I've got the Bible. I've got Jesus in me. I've got a high, a high priest that represents me. And I don't have to worry about that. So again, if we I just still, want to spend a lot of time on if it. If we still had those things, uh, can you imagine the um, idolatry that would take place? Yeah, it would, instead of seeking God, they would seek those yeah, things. Right. Uh, yeah. We would. Yeah. Not just they. We would. Yeah. Any other things? Any other points you would make about this particular session, Ken? Uh, I just I think it's a great one to think about succession, uh, which a lot of us don't. Uh, we don't think about. Uh, who am I preparing to take over? Like, you know, am I working myself out of a job as a group leader? You know, who will be the next person to carry my group forward? Uh, because I'm not always going to do that. I've got a limited time at my church. Uh, you know, God may move me to a different one. I could pass away. I could decide I need to do something different and start I've, a new group, start another group, and I need to turn it over. So, who am I investing in now that will be ready when the time comes? For me to hand that baton, have a nice, easy transition, and and let that group move forward without even missing a beat. To me, that's the that's the ultimate in leadership. Is if you can leave your job, and the next person behind you does it, and they don't even miss you. I know it sounds kind of sad, but that's really a sign of good leadership. Is that you prepare them and the group to keep right on going without you. And to me, that's a great thing. And I'm thankful, you know, that that God did that here in this story for His people, and had prepared uh, Joshua to come alongside Moses and to be mentored and to see how things work, and then to slide right into that leadership role, and for the Hebrew people to move right along without missing a beat. That may be one thing we as leaders do for a goal for 2020 is to find someone in our group who we can invest in, who can become a potential leader. Um, they may be the person who we call on when we're not there. But they also could be someone who we're, we're preparing to lead in another age group or maybe lead the class that we're leading now so we can go start another class or, mm-hmm. or whatever. That may be a goal for us as we think about goals for 2020. I would certainly agree with that. Thank you all for visiting with us today. Thank you for being with me as well, Ken. We look forward to visiting with you next week as we look at the next session, which will be session seven in our study of Numbers and Deuteronomy.